familiar with the book of Daniel, it starts off with really in chapter number one with Daniel being kidnapped from his home country and taken to the city of Babylon or the nation of Babylon. In chapter one, we meet Daniel and we meet his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then we come to uh, chapter two, where we see that these four young men are, find themselves once again in a life-threatening situation. And there's the king, Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream. And if you can't interpret the dream, then he's going to execute all the wise men and astrologers in the nation, which Daniel and his three friends would be caught up in. And so it seems like for these uh, three young men, the hits just keep coming. Because in chapter 3, they're going to find themselves once again in a life-threatening situation. They're going to find themselves in a situation where they don't know how to accomplish or how to do it. And so we're going to see much of ourselves. Because you and I, we find that our emotions affect us in so many ways. My wife said to me this week, she said, feelings are indicators. They're not dictators. Because too often we can live by our emotions. If our emotions are good, we're going to have a good day. If we woke up on the proverbial wrong side of the bed, well, guess what? That's going to affect how we go to work. And if we have a bad day at work, we may miss the sales call that we need. And that sales call may cost us the monthly quota that we needed to get our bonus. And if we don't get our bonus, we're going to be upset and we're going to be upset. And then our spouse may be upset. Our children may be upset. And then we don't get the boat we were wanting or the new car or the golf clubs or the new uh, whatever gadget that we were looking for. And it can just spiral and it can start with our emotions. And we can see how too often we let our emotions manage us instead of us managing our emotions. And so we're looking at it as men are placed in very difficult circumstances, how they handle themselves. And we pick it up in chapter number three, and we're going to meet a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And if you grew up in the church, chapter three of Daniel is very familiar. But if you didn't grow up in the church, chapter three of Daniel is worth knowing. It's worth hearing this story. It's worth knowing how the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are thrown into a fiery pit, and yet they survive. It's incredible. And so we're going to jump in today, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. And this is where we meet King Nebuchadnezzar. The Bible says King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now stop for just a second. Doesn't that sound familiar? If you were with us last week, we talked about King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. What was his dream? In his dream, he sees a large golden statue. So... He takes the dream from chapter 2 and he builds it in chapter 3. But he doesn't just build this 90 foot tall statue. He goes on and he calls in verse 2. He says, then he sent messages to the high officers and officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. You see, he takes a statue, but then he tells the people in verse 4, then he called a herald, and the herald said to all the people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Seems like this guy's a bit insecure. He has a dream, but then he takes the dream and he builds it, and then he wants everybody to bow to it. 
It sounds like he's got an ego problem. It sounds to me like this guy's ego is 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. That's how big Nebuchadnezzar's ego is. And then he wants everybody to bow down to it, to worship it. So we see this guy has some deep insecurity issues. But then he doesn't just ask people to bow. He makes a threat. Verse 6, and anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bow to the ground and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I see that in the Silicon Valley where we live, insecurity is just kind of flies under the radar, just kind of under the surface. It's very real, and we see, its, we see its effects on maybe people around us or situations, and we see that how sinuous um, insecurity can be. And it's one of the emotions we don't like to talk about, and we definitely don't want to deal with it because we don't want to talk about our insecurities. We don't want to talk about what makes us feel insufficient or inadequate. We don't just want to air that for everybody. But we see King Nebuchadnezzar, he is going to be living out of these insecurities. And so he's got to build a statue to himself. Nebuchadnezzar conquered the entire known world, but yet that was not enough. And so now he takes a dream and he turns it into an idol. And some of us have a dream, but we've turned our dream into an idol that we worship. You got that dream job and now you worship the dream job to the detriment of everything around you. You got that dream girlfriend or boyfriend or spouse, and now that's all you can focus on. It's all you can think about, and you, you do it to the detriment of anything else around you. You focus on your children. You finally have children. You're so excited. I've got children, and you make them your world. And what we do is we find an object of our worship, but here's what, thing, what we need to realize. What we at first idolize, we will eventually demonize. You'll find somebody that you just think they're the greatest, but then they can't bear the weight of your worship, and you find out they disappoint you, and then you start demonizing them. You start hating them. And some of us as parents, we even put the weight of worship on our children. Our family life is structured to revolve around the children, but our children cannot handle that weight. And we find, and this is not meant to be a parenting seminar, but we find that we hand our children uh, uh, lots of privileges and privilege after privilege after privilege, but we never match privilege with responsibility. So I meet 17-year-olds and 16-year-olds. They have the cell phone. They have the car. They've got an unlimited amount of freedom, but yet there's no responsibility. They don't have to pay for the cell phone. They don't have to put gas in the car. They don't have a curfew. They don't have to have any monitoring. So you've given all the privileges with none of the responsibility, and you wonder why they're not turning out. Because we were never meant to just have privilege. Privilege needs to be balanced with responsibility. Otherwise, we turn it into an idol and we just worship it. And so we see that here, King Nebuchadnezzar takes his idol, this dream, and he idolizes it. But it's not enough for him just to worship it. He needs everybody else to worship it. And so we're going to see that insecurity, it masks itself. You say, how do I know if I'm insecure? Insecurity is when we overcompensate. Just write that down. Insecurity is when we overcompensate. Whenever you look at your life and you feel like I'm trying too hard, guess what? You're trying too hard. Whenever you go somewhere and you feel like, man, I just need to be more of this or more of that. No, no, no. You need to be who you are, not who they want you to be. But you say, I'm still not sure if I'm insecure. Here's three signs that you're insecure, or maybe you can find it. It's found in this passage. King Nebuchadnezzar, he was worried about impressing people. You say, why? At first, when I looked at this passage, I thought, man, this is great. 
he invites everybody in his kingdom to worship the statue. But that's not what he did. You see, I grew up in the days of uh, Sunday school. And you may not know what Sunday school is, but that's where you, before you went to the main service, you had a smaller service with age-appropriate classes. And you'd go to your class, and the teacher would have something called flannel graph. And, and they, she would have a little flannel graph board. She'd have a flannel graph characters. She'd put a little gold statue up there, and it would stick on the little board. Then she'd put all the, all the people and all the nations, and she'd put them there. And they're all bowing down. you got the three Hebrew children. They're standing there and they're not bowing. And uh, I see, I, I, that's what I pictured in my mind. But that's not what verse 2 says. Verse 2 says he invited the officials, the governors, the magistrates, all the important people. So he was worried about impressing people. But he wasn't just worried about impressing the peasants, the nobodies. He only felt validated or he only felt important if he was around important people. And some of us, that's the way we feel. We feel like we're not important unless we're around important people. That's why we're always trying to get around the boss and make sure we get a selfie with the boss. Or anytime we go to a conference, we got to be around the keynote speaker. Or anytime we go somewhere, we're looking for a celebrity. We're just hoping there's a celebrity. We're taking, we're looking at people and we're like, I think they're a celebrity. You look famous. Take a picture with me. I don't know who this is, but I'm sure they're famous. Why? Because you don't feel important unless you're around important people. Because why? You're worried about impressing people. It's a sign of insecurity. But insecurity doesn't, just doesn't stop there. You see, it was all about, for him, it was all about the crowd that he surrounded himself with. We call it today squad goals. Like, if I just had this, then if I just hang around these people, then I would really be something. But it's sad that we might live our lives that way. You see, he's going to build this giant statue and wants everybody to worship it. And he wanted everybody to be there. And if they didn't, notice the second sign of insecurity. If you didn't fall down and bow down and worship it, the Bible says that he had a fiery furnace that he threw you into. So we see that insecurity, first of all, here's a sign of insecurity, that you are worried about impressing people. But secondly, you use intimidation to get your way. Now, suddenly, we're stepping back and we're like, wait a minute, I think I had a boss that used that. If you don't get this project done by Friday, you're fired. Or are you gone with somebody and they're like, hey, we have to go to the restaurant I want to go to, otherwise you're not my friend. Or if you don't do this, then we're not hanging out. And they use intimidation to get you to do what they want. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar, to make himself feel taller, he had to make you feel smaller. You ever been somewhere with people and you start sharing a story about how things are going in your life, but they just have to one-up you? They just have to tell you how much better they are than you? That's a sign of insecurity. I find today we walk around and we have something we call a measuring stick. And though you can't see it, we just kind of walk around. We just kind of measure ourselves against other people. We're just kind of like, hey, how do I measure up? Am I better than them? Is my relationships better? Do I have more likes, follows, and status updates on my social media than them? That I'm better than them. So we walk around with a yardstick. We're comparing ourselves. And we're trying to see, do we measure up? Hey, do I have a better relationship than they have? Hey, do I have uh, more status than they have? Hey, does my spouse love me more than their spouse loves them? Hey, do my kids behave better than their kids? And it's amazing because we'll, we'll look for somebody who's doing worse than us and compare ourselves to them. Remember in school, did you ever do this when kids were trying to measure if they're the same height? You go up to a kid who's obviously taller than you and you're like, we're the same height. We're absolutely, we're the same. We're exactly, we're the same. And we find ourselves doing that today. And it's kind of our system. You see, today, culture tells you popularity is more important than purpose. And so we've got a whole generation that's all about popularity. At what cost? They'll do anything to be popular. Anything. 
And it's sad to what ridiculous lengths humans will go to show that, hey, I just want popularity, whatever it takes, whatever I have to do. Do I have to make a fool of myself? Do I have to expose myself? Do I have to do something illegal, unethical, immoral? What do I have to do? Because I just want popularity. Because we put such a price, such a value on that. And we're using a measurement system that's off. It's flawed. And so we're measuring ourselves. And so we see that he was using intimidation. You see, you're not taller when you, when you want others to bow. You're actually smaller. But then not only that, but I want you to see this. In verse number 12, we see that there's some other people. They have some insecurity as well. There are other astrologers, and they come to Nebuchadnezzar, and they're like, hey, uh, King Nebi, um, didn't you say that we're supposed to bow? And if we didn't bow, then we're supposed to burn? And the uh, king's like, yes, that's correct. If you don't bow, you're going to burn. And he's like, hey, uh, can you take a, a glance over to the the right of the crowd, everybody's bowing, but do you see those three dudes? They're not bowing. And notice here's exactly what scripture says. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. And he goes on to say, they, you put them in charge. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods. They do not worship the gold statue you've set up. Here's another sign you're insecure. You hate to be ignored. You see, you say, what's the big deal? You see, King Nebuchadnezzar, As soon as he found out that he's being ignored, verse number 13 says, then he flew into a rage and ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. He was like, man, I'm not going to have that. You'll find that insecure people hate to be ignored. They hate it when you just ignore them. So next time you get a negative comment on on, on your social media, just ignore it. And you'll find they'll be so mad. They'll be so frustrated. You get an email from somebody that's just negative or derogatory, just ignore it. Now, if it comes to your spouse, if she says something or he says something, don't ignore it. You want to stay married. Stay married. Don't ignore that. But we see that too often we, we go in, in life and we're just, we're going through life. We don't understand how insecure we are. But here's the sad fact. These astrologers knew King Nebuchadnezzar was insecure. And they manipulated his insecurity. They knew he didn't want to be ignored. Why do you think he built a 90-foot statue to himself? He didn't want to be ignored. And so they knew he didn't want to be ignored. So they said, there's some people that are ignoring you. And how can you ignore that? And so all of a sudden he flies into a rage. Really what these astrologers wanted, they wanted these three Hebrews dead, gone, so they could take their position. So for them, they're manipulating Nebuchadnezzar. You see, when you're insecure, you're easily, easily manipulated. Some of you have stayed in bad or unhealthy relationships because you don't think you're worth anything. You don't think you're valuable. And the person you're in a relationship with knows you don't value yourself. So they treat you poorly. They call you names. They beat on you. They say terrible things. They degrade you. But they know you're more afraid of singleness than ending this unhealthy relationship. And they're manipulating your insecurity. And some of us will stay in bad jobs where a boss will harass us and treat us poorly because we're more afraid of being um, uh, without work than we are being treated right because we don't see our own insecurity. So there's this false sense of security. And when we have this, this insecurity, it's all about us trying to really compensate because we've got this security because we're walking around trying to measure ourselves, trying to see, do I measure up? Am I as good as them? Am I, am I as good? Will I ever measure up? But then we see that today people say, okay, I'm insecure. But then there's a false sense of security. You see, what do you mean a false sense of security? You see, we want 
to no longer be insecure because insecurity means we're admitting we're inadequate. It means we've got gaps. It means there's some parts of our lives that we're not too proud of, we're not too fond of. And so we sense that we've got this weakness, so we're going to try to fill it. And we fill it, and it creates a false sense of security. See, how do we know that? Because in this passage, King Nebuchadnezzar, he builds this giant statue. He's, con- he's conquered the known world. So he finds his identity, his security, and his accomplishments. And some of us do the exact same thing. We find our security and our accomplishments, but it's fake. It doesn't last. So we go to people and we say, you know what? I've accomplished this. And you look at their LinkedIn profile and they say, man, I've done this with my life and I've accomplished this and I've, I've raised this much money or I've sold this much goods and, I, and I'm, I'm known by this person. I've got this connection and it's all based on our accomplishments, but that creates a false sense of security. It's not real. Why? Because it can always be taken away. The accomplishments can be taken away. It can all go by the wayside. And so we see we can't build our life on our accomplishments. And then also we can't build our life on our approval. He wanted the approval of these guys. Some of us will go to such unhealthy lengths to get approval. We'll go to the wrong sources. Some of us will have a a problem with our spouse, with our wife. And we'll go hang out with the guys. And we'll be talking. And the guys are like, she's not treating you right. You just need to go home right now and tell her who's boss. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to do that. That's a great idea. And then they're like, oh, he's dead. He's so dead. And you walk home, storm up at the door, woman. And she's like, don't you dare. She picks up your rule, you know, and she does one of those. And you're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And you, you back down. Why? Because you know that, wait a minute, I'm out of line. I got some bad advice from somebody. I got some foolish advice because here's what happens. Where you get your approval from, you give them your allegiance. So some of us have picked poor friends and they give us some unhealthy approval And we give them our allegiance. And we let them decide who we should be and who we shouldn't be. There's a whole lot of people that give you the wrong approval. My daughter, she's really sweet and I love her. She's seven years old. But I noticed this week she started doing something. She would ask my wife to do up her hair real nice, to curl it and to put bows in it and ribbons in it. And I don't have a problem with that. But I noticed this. She came home from school and she would run up to me and say, Daddy, everybody commented me on my hair. I was like, oh my goodness, that's great. But then the next day, she wanted her hair done up again. And my wife's gracious. She started curling her hair, started to put the bows and ribbons. And I know what she was after. My daughter at seven years old is fishing for compliments at seven years old. To feel valuable at seven years old. So immediately when she got home from school, I pulled her aside and said, hey, baby, let's talk. I said, baby, you know daddy loves you no matter how your hair looks. You know, daddy loves you if your hair's messy, scruffy, you're done up, because that's not where your value lies. And don't let your approval come based on your looks, because today, women all across this country are told their value lies in their appearance. And if they don't look just a certain way, and their body shape doesn't fit a certain type, then they don't have value today. And so I don't want her falling for that trap. So already I'm saying, hey, baby, you can do your hair. We can put bows in it. We can do it up. But guess what? You're not valuable because of your looks. Your value is something deeper. But we fall into that trap. Because we'll see a little girl, we'll see a little boy, aren't you handsome? Aren't you cute? And we'll say it based on their looks, something that can be taken away. But let's find something deeper about that person. Say, man, you're creative. God's given you a gifted mind. You're so kind. You're so patient. You have great character. Let's compliment on something deeper. Otherwise, we're fostering this false sense of security. So some of you today, you look like you've got it all together, but it's a false sense of security. It can be taken away. That's why you have, and it almost fosters this, this insecurity because statues can be torn down because uh, people can leave you. People can unlike, people can stop following you. And so we find that this false sense of security comes from when we 
base it on our accomplishments or on our approval or on our appetites. Sadly, some of us pride ourselves in hating ourselves. And we think, well, guess what, pastor? I don't have a problem with insecurity because I know I'm a loser. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That's the unhealthy extreme as well. You see, if insecurity is me trying to compensate for it, a false sense of security is me trying to cover it up. So some of us, you'll talk bad about yourself before anybody else can, just so nobody else will talk bad about it. So you'll go to your mother, mother-in-law's house, and you'll say, I already know I'm a bad parent. You'll step into the kitchen, somebody can cook, and be like, I'm a horrible cook. They didn't even say anything. But you already, led, you already went there. You'll go to the mechanic shop, I'm terrible working on cars, just fix it. Wait a minute. What are you doing? You're calling out your own insecurity. You're talking, you're putting yourself down already. And what we do is we think it's a false sense of humility. But no, no, no. What we're doing is this insecurity is drive by us thinking about ourselves. And guess what? Even if you're hating on yourself, you're still thinking about yourself. So it's an unhealthy extreme. So that's not the healthy way to do it. It's not, oh, I'm a terrible parent. Oh, I'm a lousy person. Oh, I'm just such a terrible spouse. No, 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 that's not the right answer at all because we're just trying to cover something and really we're actually trying to excuse it. We're not dealing with the behavior that we're a bad parent. We're just pointing it out and then we're saying, I'm just a bad parent and then we laugh about it, but we never correct it. Wait, wait, are you a bad parent? Maybe we should talk about this. Hey, you know, somebody said the other day, I never beat my kids, I'm a good parent. You were never there to beat them. So that, how do you win? You, you don't get to win. There's, there's nothing, you no know, winning there. And so we, we think that, man, this proves it. This helps me. But understand that we can't fall into the sad sense of false security. Where do we need to land? We need to land where true security is found. And I found it in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response. Because in verse 16, they're called before the king. And I want to read these words. It's so profound. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we, won't make, we, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. What did they just say? This is what I think is so profound. You see, in one moment... They're filled with faith, aren't they? In one moment, they're saying, God can do anything. God's going to save us. God's going to save us from this fire. And God's going to deliver us. But then the next moment, they're like, but if he doesn't, we're okay. And that's so much like me. Because in one moment, I'm like, God's going to do great things. God's going to do miraculous things. And in the next moment, I'm like, God hates me. He's given up on me. He's abandoned me. And then the next day, God is so good. I'm singing psalms and I'm like praising God. I pull out a little harp from who knows where. And I start strumming harp and quoting poetry. And the next day, I'm just like, man, everything's terrible. Nobody likes me. And it's just this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Where is that coming from? That's coming to the place where they're just admitting, I guess what, I'm vulnerable. They're saying, yeah, I have faith in God, but guess what, I also have my doubts too. They're getting honest. You see, if insecurity is me trying to compensate, and a false sense of security is me trying to cover up, true security is me trying to come clean. It's me saying, hey, here's who I am, but it's not who I'm meant to be, it's not who I'm going to stay. Because here's something you need to write down. God never leaves you at the level that you met him. God never leaves you at the level that you met him. God is saying, hey, you met me here, we're going here. 
And some of us, we won't let God ever take us to the next level. We won't let God ever move us to the next step. We just get stuck and we just say, this is all it is. This is the best it's going to be. No, no, God is saying, hey, I'm here to take you to the next level because God never leaves you at the same level. He always takes you to the next level. And that's what God is doing right here with this group. He wants to take them to the next level. He wants to show them what great things he has for them. And guess what? Some of us are like, yes, I want that. And you know what the next level was for them? To be thrown into the fiery furnace. You say, wait a minute, that's, that wasn't planned. I didn't want that. I don't want to be thrown in the fire. But sometimes God is trying to do something. You see, I want you to know something about fire. Fire burns away things. Fire reveals something. In Job 23, verse 10, the Bible says, and, and, and when we go through the fire, when I'm tried, I'll, show, I'll come forth as gold. He's saying, you know what? There's a value that we place on how big something is, but it's not on how big it is. It's a weight. See, we go around the world and we kind of think this is how we measure up. This is where value is. But God is saying, that's not how I measure things. I don't measure somebody's importance based on their popularity. I measure it on something else. You see, today we have what's called resume values and eulogy values. Resume values is, man, I am good at Word, Excel. I'm a leader. I'm an entrepreneur. I got all these things. But then there's the eulogy values. He was a good father a loyal husband. That's eulogy. That has some weight. You see, today there's something we don't like. We don't mind the yardstick, but we hate the scale. Oh, we hate the scale. Some of you are like, yeah, I burned my scale. I don't like the scale. I'm a big fan of the scale because you say, why? Because for me, the scale reveals weight. You see, God measures weight. You see, God says, when I put my glory on you, it's the weight. There's a weight there. It's the weight of character. There's something deeper that I'm doing, and that has weight. You see, everywhere else we're looking for size, but it's not size. Any of you ever wrestle in high school, and you had to make weight? You see, size didn't matter when you had the weight advantage. When you had the weight advantage, you would win because you had the weight advantage. You see, we measure by human standards and not heaven standards. You see, humans measure with one of these, but God says, no, no, I measure the weight. Somebody's value is deeper. It's in their worth. And so today, if you're measuring your life saying, hey, do I value? Do I matter? God's saying, hey, I want to do something in you. And one of the first things we do is we need to remember, God doesn't measure based on the size. Think about David and Goliath. If it mattered how what your size was, David shouldn't have won. Because David would have been, nope, forget it. I got a slingshot, he's got a sword, nope. Think about the lad with a few loaves and a few fishes. That didn't make sense, he fed over 5,000. And what's interesting about that story, he wasn't even counted in the official count. It says they counted 500 men, not 5,001, one lad with some lunch. No, he didn't make it in the count, but because of him, he fed everybody. It doesn't make sense, you can't measure that. But there was a weight there, something deeper. Here's what God did. God doesn't necessarily necessarily save us from the fire, but he will save us in the fire. You see, these men, they're thrown into the fire. Verse 25, it says they were bound. But then in verse 25, the Bible says that King Nebuchadnezzar, he starts looking, he starts looking at the fire. He says, wait a minute. Hey, hey, hey guys, how, how many did we throw in that fire? They said, we threw in three. He says, I think I see four men in there and they're all free. They're, they're loose. They're not bound. You see, the first thing you need to remember about true security is God allows you to go through the fire because why? It breaks anything that's bound you. You see, some of you are bound by the opinions of others and you care too much what people think. Some of us are bound by likes and clicks and status. We're bound by these things and we need to have courage to be all who God's called us to be. 
We need to be what God wants us to be. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar, he said, I think I see somebody in there. So he gets up off this throne, and that's important. And he takes a step, and he walks closer. You see, some of us were like, I want to see more of God. I, I, God looks kind of blurry. I can't really see him in this situation. But he had to get off his throne, off that position that he had established. Some of us were on our, our proverbial thrones, our positions, our names. And we need to get off of that. Because if you want to see God clear, then you need to get closer. Because God will always look blurry when you're on your throne. Your status, your accomplishments, your identity, your insecurity. But Nebuchadnezzar gets off the throne. And it's this morning you need to maybe get off the throne that you built. Where your position, your pride lies. And you say, I got to get and see God clearer. So I need to get closer. So Nebuchadnezzar gets closer to God. But then he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out. So they come out. And as they come walking out, the people around are doing one of these. You say, what are you doing? They were smelling these guys because the Bible says that they didn't smell like they had been burned. I've been to the South. And in the South, you can go there and they got restaurants. And those restaurants, they have two sections. Smoking, non-smoking. Smoking, non-smoking. And have you ever been to one of those restaurants? Let me just see. A few of you have. Yeah, exactly. Still have them. And uh, sometimes when the restaurant's crowded, guess what section they're going to put you in? Close to the non-smoking. So you're sitting there and I'm obnoxious. Because I don't like secondhand smoke. And so I'll be sitting there eating my food or whatever. And I've just got to be obnoxious. Also going. <coughs> just a real nasty cough. <coughs> you know. And it just, why? Because I don't want to smell like. But then I'll walk out. And people will find me. They'll be like. Man. You, you smoke? No. No. I, I, I did not smoke. Are you sure? You, you, smell, you smell like you've been smoking. No, no. I was in the restaurant. And I was close to the non-smoking section. I was not smoking. And uh, this week. John and I, we were visiting a bunch of the businesses around our building, and one of them is a vape shop, and we wanted to meet all the owners. So John and I looked at each other, and it was obvious that they sold more than just vaping material. Now, I'm not proficient on this vape stuff. You may be, but you do not have to educate me on me, uh, educate me on this subject. I don't want to know, but we walked in there, and I started talking to the guy, and John was like, man, we're going to smell like, and I was like, don't worry about it. Nobody's going to see us later. It's fine. And he's like, I just, you know, so this week, if you, if you, if you met me and you said you smell like reefer, I promise you, I did not inhale. I did not inhale. All right. It was just, we walked through there and everything. And, uh, you know, it just went in there, but we came out and we kind of started smelling like where we had been. And some of you are like, I think I know a day. I remember you were pretty relaxed one day last week, you know, you're just kind of laying there, just kind of chill. And then you were eating lots of Cheetos and Funyuns and stuff. And I knew something was up. No, no, no. I promise you, I did not inhale. But we can go through life smelling like what we've been through some of us are coming through life and we've been hurt but we don't have to be bitter we've been betrayed but we don't have to be upset that boss could have fired you and somebody say hey you're not upset at that boss no i'm not upset at that boss i'm not going to let it affect me because what i've been through does not have to stay with me some of you understand this week god may not save you from the fire he's going to use the fire to save you but you don't have to smell like what you've been through because they went by them, they said, and this is amazing. You guys don't even smell burnt. You don't even smell like the fire. You smell free. You smell like there's something different about you. That's what God wants for you. You see, my purpose outweighs my pain. My hope outweighs my hardship. God's grace outweighs my failure. So let's walk in that. Let's live in that. We don't have to be insecure and trying to just compensate. We don't have to have false security and try to cover up. We can have true security and come clean. Say, God, this is what I am. But God is going to take us to the next level. Let's all stand as we close.
God, we need you. And God, we pray that your presence would meet with us, that you would speak to us in a new and powerful way, that we'd find in you our sense of true security in life, that we would understand that we don't have to walk in this insecure life, but that, God, that we can come before you and be all that you've called us to be because you are a good, good Father. So let's sing and let's worship and let's praise God this morning. As the band sings, let's sing with them.